All right. I'm excited about episode number 30. This is the second half of an interview I did with Dr. Ron Bonstetter, the Senior Vice President of Research and Development for TTI. This topic is brain research and negative reactions, what you need to know to lead and grow yourself and your team. And so this is episode 30, second half of that interview. And let me tell you quickly what we're going to cover in uh, this episode through that interview. We're going to talk about the development of soft skills, understanding what happens in the brain around things we like and are good at and things we're not good at. That's an interesting discussion about how the brain lights up or doesn't light up around those areas. Dr. Bonstetter is going to talk about some advice, uh, top takeaways that he'd give. He's going to talk about projects that they're working on coming up in the future, which is interesting. I think you'll find that interesting about around emotional intelligence and intuition. I am eager to learn more about that. He's going to share his advice that he'd give his 30-year-old self. It's relevant to many leaders, so I think you'll want to hear that. He tells us what his billboard will be, and I'll just go ahead and give you that because it's interesting and it gives you some insight into who he is. His billboard is listen for those things you have never heard. So we're back on the topic of listening, which is what we closed on at the end of episode 29. Listen for those things you have never heard. Very profound and so smart. He's going to share his number one takeaway for all of this talk about brain research and leading and development. Um, So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there, my name is Susie Price, and I am the creator of this podcast, Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, and I am the interviewer that you will hear today in the second half of this short series with Dr. Ron Bonstetter around brain research. My company is Priceless Professional Development, and our focus is building energy, commitment, and communication in organizations, and I have been doing that for 13 years. And right when I started my business, I became a distributor for a company called TTI Success Insights, and that's where Dr. Ron Bonstetter hangs his hat these days doing his brain research. And so I'm so eager to bring the second half of my interview with Dr. Bonstetter to you. Episode 29 can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash brain, lowercase. And then today's episode 30 is can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash brain and the number two. So there, what you can find there is the show notes. There's a link to all of my social media if you want to connect that way and also an opportunity for you to download the Priceless Professional WakeUpBiggerWorkforce.com app so that it's on your smartphone and you'll always know what episodes are coming up. So in episode 29, I read Dr. Bonstetter's bio, so you can go back to that if you'd like to learn more about him if you're just catching up with us in this episode. But let's go ahead and get to the interview, and I know you're going to enjoy what he shares and get some good takeaways from it. So let's go there now. (music) 
You know, I, I recently was trying to maybe justify, I originally wanted to justify that I only read scientific books. And my wife, of course, is a voracious reader and, and reads all kinds of things. And as a result, has actually a much more renaissance uh, knowledge of life in general than I. Mm-hmm. And I used to justify it by I don't have time to learn all that stuff. And I'm afraid that if I had to live my life over, isn't that an interesting concept? If you could go back to being in middle school with the knowledge uh, that we possess now, what would you do differently? I I love to play that mental game a little bit. And I'll tell you, the one lesson that I have learned in life is that all things are connected. And I I, I once wrote a paper that uh, talked about the concept of uh, the more the more you learn, the more you know. Mm. Fact is, that needs to be inverted. The more you know, the more you learn. Mm. And here's what That's goes true. on. You see, every time you learn something, it creates a dendrite. It cre- creates a memory bank in your in your brain. And so, when you know more things, you simply are in possession to make more connections to a new concept. I'll never forget where that came to bear in my life. I was on a beach in Brazil, and I was experiencing for the first time a drink called caipirinha. Now, caipirinha, for those that haven't uh, had that experience and that joy, is nothing more than our version of Everclear with a little sugar in it to make it palatable. (laughs) With a very lovely name. Well, it is a lovely name, and it actually, the, the liquor is called Kashasha, so it's just a lovely process. And I, I'll tell you, I was trying desperately to remember, okay, Caipirinha, I've got to remember this drink. This stuff is awesome. It's like lemonade, only it seems to have a kick. And the, <laughs> gen, the, gen, the gentleman beside me said, well, it's not that hard to remember. It obviously is a Latin derivation. It has similar meaning and similar uh, bearing to both Italian and French and Spanish, and so it's an obvious uh, word that makes perfect sense and makes connections in various ways. I looked at him and I said, yeah, it makes sense to you because you just made all these connections in your brain that I don't possess. I don't speak uh, Italian. I don't speak yeah. Spanish. I don't study Latin languages. Right. And it really hit me that the more you know, the more you learn. Uh, yep. We simply have to embrace learning and the connections follow. If you're always just waiting to learn something meaningful, you're going to miss the boat. Yeah. So we, uh, the more we learn. Like a true theoretical. <laughs> yes, but, it's, but it is true. The more we learn, the more expanded our actual, if you think about what's happening in your brain, your, our brain dendrites, I think you called them, the more they are. So when we hear new things, we can grasp them more quickly or hold on to them because we have somewhere to put it. Is that kind of That's what you're saying? That's absolutely true. If, if, if you really take and try to simplify what the brain does, the, the brain is nothing more than a pattern-seeking organ. It's yeah. looking for patterns. And yeah. if you have more knowledge, you have more opportunities to build patterns and to build connections. Uh, yep. And so as you mature and grow, you simply have more places for connections to occur. Yep, yep. Well, and it's something, if we think about the personal skills, that's a, one of the personal skills that we've measured over the years in the trimetrics assessment, um, 
we have found that often continuous learning shows up when companies are doing benchmarks. So the motivator might not be high theoretical because you're kind of gigging on yourself like, oh, I'm, I love to learn and that's my driver. That's what puts gas in my tank. But it's a skill. The continuous learning is often found in many of the benchmarks because so many positions today require uh, continual knowledge, continual updates, because things are changing. Um, so I might have a conservative personality style, but and I might not be high theoretical, but under the hood, it's good to have some interest in knowledge and be willing to learn. And according to your research with the brain, that makes sense, you know, that why continuous learning shows up and it's it's a personal skill that matters. Oh, you know, we really, I almost hate to embrace a new concept this far into the podcast, but I'll make this brief. We have done some exciting studies on 23 and 25 soft skills, the competencies. And what we find is that the first five to seven have a left hemisphere flare. Your brain agrees that that is a skill I possess. Yes, I am a leader. Yes, I'm a good presenter. Yes, I delegate. Those just come across very solid. Then we have this next group that sort of flash back and forth, and they're not as intense, and they may be right, they may be left. They're in the middle. Then we have a group at the bottom, not for everyone, but we do have a group of people at the bottom. It almost looks like they're brain dead. Uh, No hits. Yeah, and here's what's happening. There's no emotional connection. They've had no experience with it. Soft skills are experience-based, and if you've had no experience, you simply have no reaction in your brain. Yep. I think it's absolutely fascinating. And now, the other problem that we have is, let's say, yep, you got a new job, and you're going to have to move number 13 skill up to the top five. Yep. You better have a conversation with that person about what previous experiences they've had in this, because you you could have some baggage. If I had you in the brain lab, I might be able to show that you've got a huge right hemisphere flare, some negative experiences with that concept that if you don't deal with that negative experience first, you're never going to develop the skill. Okay, so let's let's go sense? for, uh, let's say goal achievement. So goal achievement shows up a lot in benchmarks. And so we're measuring, and it's in one of the top five or seven in a job for benchmark. Yes. And the candidate has it, it uh, midway and it's, you know, number. And it's a right hemisphere flare. So and we wouldn't know flare. that on the assessment, but if we know it's kind of low and it's not, it's not well developed and it's not uh, needs development, but it's somewhere in the middle, we would guess it would be that right flare thing, right? No, you wouldn't have. No, I don't think you can assume it is. But I'll bet you anything that if you don't take the time to find out, you may be wasting your developmental time. Okay. You better find out. Okay, goal goal achievement. What comes to mind when we look at this uh, this goal? What are some previous experiences you've had with setting goals? Uh, Were those positive or negative experiences? And I'll tell you, if they're honest with you in a good uh, relationship, that stuff will start coming out, and now we can deal with it. Well, and it goes to why when we do benchmarks, we look at the top seven for someone. That's correct. You know, so that goes to that. And so and what, what I always, you know, and I never say don't hire someone, but I'm like, if they did not match, if they're fair to poor compatibility, let's go back to these interview questions because they're pretty good. You know, they're specific, you know, competency, behavioral-based interview questions. And if, if the interviewer will be a good listener 
and ask the question and press for specifics, you can start to see where they stand with those, you know, how good are their examples. So that gives you some idea. Um, and then what you're saying is taking it to the next level, which is, let's say they're on the job already, or you, yeah. you need to hire them because they're a good fit and you, they're the best prospect you have, or for many other reasons. When you go to develop it, you need to get to uh, what's their emotional relationship to that competency. I guess. That's correct. And how would you get yep. to that? How would you get to the baggage? What comes to mind, you said? What previous experience have you had? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that will start opening the doors. Yeah. Uh, what you need to realize as an interviewer is that you, again, use real questions, meaning no, yes, no, and yep. you don't know the answer to the question. Once you've yep. opened that door, then you need to follow with what I call probing questions. You yep. never let one question have one answer. It opens a doorway to a series of questions. So once you get an answer, tell me about the previous experiences you've had. They will give you an answer, and now you follow up by listening to them and have a follow-up probing question that takes you even deeper. Yeah, yeah. We have really good interview questions that come with the, with the benchmarks that will make Absolutely. you go deeper if we'll listen. I always say it's a 25 to 75%. Uh, process the interviewer is talking twenty five percent and the candidate is talking seventy five percent, but I don't think that always happens. <laughs> but uh, kind of no. what you said earlier. Uh, and there's another missing component that we would be delinquent in not mentioning, and that is that silence is yeah. not lost time. Silence is thinking. Yeah. And Let when you think. pose a question, you better realize that in most cases people will either rephrase the question or answer it themselves in less than three seconds. Now, when you say three seconds, you go, oh, I can't believe I do that. But the fact is, three seconds feels like an eternity when you're actually not having vocalization occurring. Yeah. You have got to allow people time to think. Real questions require real thinking. Yes, very good point. I like that. And leverage the silence. Sit there. Don't fill it in the blank, especially us high Ds and Is. Don't fill in the blank. Let it be there. Well, let's talk this a little further. Not only leverage the silence. Leverage the silence. That's a beautiful term. That means that you keep eye contact. You do not start writing notes. You don't go get water from the cooler. You, <laughs> yeah. you, keep, you engage. You mentally yeah. engage and, and literally Allow them to think, but you do not also allow them off the hook. No, exactly. You're so right. That's good. So those, are, those are powerful concepts. We've sort of covered the uh, waterfront this morning, Susie. Yes, we have. You're awesome. So let me ask you this. You said there's no emotional connection. So when we're doing the personal skills and we're doing the rating the 25 and we see where they're the strongest and you you see when you do the brain research that it matches up, you know, wherever they're the strongest, there's high intense or some intensity of brain research. Does the same thing about avoidance apply on the lower personal skills or it's more of Talk about that when you talked about we have an intense yeah. reaction to things we want to avoid. Does that show up in the personal skills and personal skills? And if so, um, what does that tell us and what can we tell when we're looking at the assessment and looking at how they ranked in the assessment? That's absolutely a beautiful question because that's the assumption that I had, that we would go with left side intense and we would move down the list. And when we got to 23 or 25, we would have 
right side intense flares showing avoidance. That was the hypothesis. That's not okay, what so left side is like, right side is avoid. So you, you assumed correct. the higher scoring things would be, I like these things, you know, the brain, you know, relates to them, they have a place to put it, you know, and then, uh, and, but you, and the, the lower ones would be avoid, I don't like these. But what did you find? Yeah. It sounds like maybe you found well, something different. No, I, we did. And not with everyone. In some cases, it's flashing back and forth, right and left, all the way through the entire list. But we do find a lessening intensity as you move down. Even if there's right and left, the the intensity starts to reduce. In other words, these are, by definition, experience-based. You don't gain soft skills by reading a book. These soft skills are experience-based, and if you've had no experience in a phenomena you're not going to have a brain reaction. So you're going to have these toward the bottom. In most cases, uh, we'll have very little reaction to uh, very little intensity. And so that's fascinating. It's not an avoidant. It's just non-existent. Ah, I had a person doing presenting, and the presenting showed up with no reaction at all. And so when I had the debrief, he said, well, I've never had to present. I I don't do that. Yeah. So does that make it easier or harder for him to learn how to present? (laughs) Oh, I've tried to come up with an analogy. I'm not going to use my analogy, but I'll do the explanation. I am convinced in, in some cases, in some cases, it might be easier to work on some of those lower skills and develop them because they have no emotional baggage. Some of them in the middle that you think, oh, let's move number 13 to number seven, and let's just move this up a little bit instead of working on number 20 and 21. You may have baggage on some of those middle components that you better overcome before you can move them up. You might be easier to develop somebody that has no past experience with a phenomena than to develop a concept where they already have some negative baggage. How does that tie to what you were talking about, about that drink, a Katiana, and you didn't have a place to put it? Um, Does it tie to that story at all? Well, it does in that you have dendrites for some concepts that are firmly in place uh, that have to be overcome. You know, let's think back. Uh, When I became a professor, I knew I was going to be at a university, I was going to be teaching, and that I had a blackboard in front of me or a whiteboard and I had to run classes yep. and the idea of walking up to a board and writing something on that board uh, was almost an intense anxiety attack oh. and I'll tell you why I am extremely dyslexic I can't spell oh. and I certainly can't walk up to a board and write a word a scientific word no less with any degree of accuracy. And so the idea of doing that was such a flare. Even in classes, I, 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 what I did is I have workarounds. First of all, I got used to the idea of letting people know that I can't spell. It's okay. I got yeah. other skills, but this is one I don't have. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, I found other people more than willing to play that role in a class while I yeah. am facilitating the discussion. Right. And we're brainstorming. And so others write down the brainstorms. 
And so I'm not trying to do two things at once, one of which I can't. Right. And so you find ways of overcoming it. But if somebody had given me this test and said that uh, you're going to have to do this as a skill, and they said, okay, so we'll just have you do that tomorrow. No, that's not going to fly. Yeah. We yeah. better talk about this. A lot of people feel that way about presenting in front of groups. You know, I present in front of thousands of people, and I've done it for so many years. I simply, I love the idea of an audience. I feel like I am being able to step up in front of an orchestra and given the opportunity to make beautiful music with those skilled people that are in front of me, because that's how I feel about when I'm on stage. Uh, They're not threatening to me. They are, they're wonderfully skilled people that I have the opportunity to to take 15, 20 minutes and direct. Yep. You know, and but a lot of people freak at the concept of standing in front yep. of a group. They freeze. Yeah. So you have a strong left flare of your frontal lobe. I'm looking at my notes, which means I love it. So the association and the flow in your brain, and then probably on the assessment, it scores really high. It's like, yeah, that's me. So it's obviously a yeah. strength. But if it had some question, which it doesn't, that said about Blackboard all those years ago and having to write on a Blackboard, you would have had an extreme right flare, which would be a void. And if if it's – we're just trying to – I'm making this up, but – if blackboard writing was one of the personal skills and you had you you would score it you would probably have scored it low you wouldn't have scored it low you might would have scored it midway probably maybe probably midway because yeah. it's like yeah. i can do it but i i don't like it so i don't score yeah. it like a positive and i don't score it as neutral and on the right. assessment it, the way it would show up is you know somewhere in the middle out of the 25 number 16 or 17 or whatever it depends on how everything else was but what that would say is uh there's baggage which, which is kind of what you're saying the middle of these we have some uh, emotional association with them which and it isn't a positive one, and with that emotional association, the development of it is doable, but you need to understand the baggage around it. Um, yeah, you have an extra the step. There's an extra yeah. step that has to be extra implemented. Step. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And you don't need a brain scam to do this. You just need no. a good conversation. A good conversation and know to even to be looking for those things and what your brain scans are doing or they're giving us this insight of of how we It really is. It's explaining the causality behind observations. You know, we have a lot of us have worked at the symptom level. I would like to think that TTISI is really going to causes and not symptoms. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly my experience of it. And and that's what I clients say all the time. It's you know, gosh, we, we don't want to hire without this tool or you know, this is really having really strong ROI because people are really understanding themselves and that includes all three assessments, you know. Um, because I think I always feel like the acumen piece and the DNA and all that, the under the hood part really gets to causality a lot of times as well as the motivators. Well, let's, talk brief, let's talk briefly that about that. I, I like the analogy that our assessments, our five sciences, are sort of like an onion, with yeah. the outer being maybe behaviors. But what happens is that each additional science goes deeper into the understanding. Now, some jobs, all you need is behaviors, and you've got what you need. If you're hiring 
somebody to run the cash register at uh, Amigos. And, and so, yeah. you know, they're only going to be there for four weeks and that's the way life is. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're going, if you want a CEO, you better take and go full five sciences and figure out how these people click. Yeah. Yep. Um, and each one does go deeper. There's yeah, no doubt right. about it. Yep. Awesome. Well, what other things might you uh, want to talk about or have we covered the uh, waterfront? We're close to there. If we were to summarize a little bit about, so there are leaders listening to this call right now who are saying, okay, now how can I use, uh, this is interesting, they're enjoying all the information, and I think we've given them some ideas on how to use, but maybe we could summarize some of them. All right. What, well, the first how thing would we use some mind. of this understanding of avoidance and, you know, brain flares and how the brain works when you think about that? What, what would maybe the top three or four things I think for the CEO that just wants solutions, they need to realize that there are some companies that are actually doing all the work behind the scenes for them. And I'd like to think that they could uh, trust TTISI as being one of those companies that right. is doing the groundwork and doing building the foundation so that they don't have to feel vulnerable. So that's one takeaway. The next takeaway, yeah. though, you're, you're hitting them absolutely correctly. Recognize the role of avoidance in decision-making Yep. Recognize the need to understand self as phase one and others for phase two, and yep, then like apply that. the knowledge of self to an interaction with another for phase three. So yep. there's these levels that you have for interaction that can be developed. And by the way, I just outlined a, at least a decade of work for a person. That's not something you do <laughs> yeah. overnight. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process. It is a total process. Yeah. Multiple yeah. sciences are, are absolutely crucial. Rarely do you find that one science is going to uh, answer all of your questions. Right. And even multiple science require a good understanding of questioning, listening, and debriefing. Mm -hmm. I think that this is the age of the brain. You know, I, when I grew up, we had the space program and we went to the moon and then we had oceanography with my favorite uh, person on earth, probably Jacques Cousteau. Oh, by the way, I had the opportunity to speak before Jacques Cousteau in Paris many years oh. ago. And, wow. and uh, yeah, talk about a hard act, uh, you know, to, to set the stage for. <laughs> Nobody wanted to listen to me. They wanted me <laughs> to get out of the way, so Jacques got up there. You're very <laughs> engaging, though. I bet they liked you. That you I was okay. That, that was a learning experience as well. In fact, I'll tell you the learning experience. My advisor was with me on that trip, and I was too young to be doing what I was doing. I was at the World Council for Science Education. We had uh, 44 different languages in the room. There were translators in little glass booths all over oh, around the edges gosh. of this room. And so I'm speaking, and it's being translated uh, simultaneously into 44 languages and I'm, I'm pulling this off and trying to set the stage for one of the purposes and outcomes for the conference and what we're going to accomplish worldwide. And afterwards, I'm at the back of this thing at noon when it's over, and a gentleman comes up and he says, that was an awesome speech, and you really pulled together and were passionate about our purpose and our goals. And my advisor is standing beside me, and I said, well, thank you, but uh, frankly, I didn't have a clue what I was going to say when I got up there. And the guy sort of walked off, and my advisor said, I have never been madder at you than I am right now. Oh, 
And I said, why? He says, you lied to him. You told him you were not prepared. I know that you got up there and read your audience and figured out what was working and what was not working, and you modified what you were going to do, but you were prepared. You were overprepared. And number two, you insulted him. You told him he had no ability to determine quality. Mm-hmm. Notice that I didn't say I had two things before I started that statement. <laughs> no, no more, no more than I had finished that, and a little short lady comes up to me, and she points to the podium, and she says, others, he immiscible. You, she points to me, and she says, you, and she throws her arms in the air, and she says, you, Borte. And I looked at my advisor, and I bowed and said, thank you. So there are huh. times when you have to acknowledge and let things go and, and not, not, not put yourself down and not put others down. I don't think right. people realize the effect they have on other people. I was yeah. trying to be humble, and in the process, I insulted a person. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So there's a difference between humility and, and, and insulting. And that yeah. comes from reading people and listening to people and understanding their worldview. Uh, it's not easy, folks. And it does take mirror neurons. Yeah. Understanding their world. And then, yeah, we talked about listening, which is a big part yep. of that. Ask Literally in a conversation. Shut up. <laughs> mentally putting a camera in the corner of the room, mentally putting a camera in the corner of the room and taking and listening to the conversation from a third eye, mm, attempting yeah. to view the reality you're living from outside that reality so that yeah. you can actually see how they're reacting. You can see their nonverbals. You can hear what they're saying from their perspective. Now, by the way, these things are easy to say, and they are hard to do. Uh, but I think they're doable. I mean, and I see people doing it all the day, I, all the time. I can think of a an executive that I've gotten to know over the years that has really dived into the assessments and uh, works really hard at understanding what he's doing and what he's bringing to the equation. And then he, every time one of his employees takes the assessment, he's very tuned into okay, what does it say, and what do they need, and how do I read it, and you know, so I mean, and that person's a really effective leader, was good before and stronger now by just uh, doing the work, you know. We and, recognize when we see it, and we rarely break down what we see into doable, replicatable process. And that's yeah. what I think this conversation today is attempted to do, is to start people to think about this is replicatable. It has multiple layers and multiple dimensions. But if we embrace each and work at each, ultimately they are brought together in a synergism that leads to far better communication, far better leadership, and ultimately far better productivity. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Great research that you're doing is so, so interesting. Um, I'd like to, as we, as you move forward and discover new things, have you back on the podcast. What is next for the Center of Applied Cognitive Research? What's next for you and what's next for the center? What's on the, on the horizon? <laughs> I have a boy. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to replicate the process that we've been using and delve into emotional quotient. Mm. 
The EQ is one of our assessments. I want to revisit it. I want to revisit it from the, the viewpoint of exposing the, um, the pathways again that are being employed for decision making and see if we can really capture uh, when people are losing their emotional uh, quotient and emotional intelligence and when they are referring and going into a, a reptilian brain reaction instead uh -huh. of thinking. Yeah. And I think we can really accomplish that. And then the other one is a little bit outside my comfort zone right now because I am a scientist. Yep. But you know, even scientists need to realize there are things we don't understand and maybe we ought to embrace those mysteries. You see, we have something called intuition in our driving forces, intuitive. Mm -hmm. And I need to figure out where intuition comes from. Where is that? Is it simply experience or is there more to it? And I'm starting to work with a group of neurologists and we are all sort of, uh, this is premature to even let the cat out of the bag, but uh, we're looking at five brains and not just one. We're going to start looking at the interplay and the activity and the purpose of the neurons that are already a massive neural net is associated with the gut and a massive neural net is associated with the heart. Mm -hmm. Now, new age people like to talk about the gut and the heart, but I don't want to talk chakras. about it from a new age. They're talking age. about chakras. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about true neurology. Yeah. And can we identify the neurological function and interplay of those neural nets in decision making? And there's some literature out there, and there are a group of us that are embracing this and trying to look at it more scientifically. That excites wow. me. That is so interesting. That is, and people can relate to that. I mean, you know, when you feel something, you um, do. I mean, these things do. have. The, yeah. It's like everything else in our assessments. We really know these things at a gut level. I mean, we yeah. know that we exhibit different behaviors, but yeah. we, as we said earlier, have, are now giving voice. To that and, and an explanation that we can actually work with. So that's the same thing we want to do with these other concepts is to try to understand them well enough to relate causality instead of just verbiage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear about that. Both of those are interesting. Well, I'm only, I'm only uh, 67, so I've got a few more years to work on it. Yes, you do. And I look forward to hearing all about it. So we're going we're gonna to head to a close. I've gotten uh, so much good information from you that I know is going to be helpful. And I, I look forward to listening to it again and pulling together the show notes. But as we go to a close, let's do some switch gears back to a little bit of personal, because I think that'll give some good insight and inspiration to people who are listening. Um, when you think about what advice you'd give your 30-year-old self, what would you say? What would be the advice you'd give to younger Dr. Ron? Uh, well, we've talked a little bit about the fact that I think embracing and learning, mm -hmm. every experience we have is really an opportunity to learn. And we have no clue where that knowledge fits. But we should not be so selective in what we learn. Um, mm -hmm. And I have to tell you that as a high theoretical and a high D, my younger self would go to a social gathering, and if I couldn't find somebody that was intellectually stimulating, uh, I'd literally leave. I'd either leave physically or leave mentally. Uh, that was a mistake. Yep. 
every human being has something to offer us. We can learn from everyone, no matter their age, their nationality, their race. We have to embrace opportunities in ways we've never done before because the world is growing in its complexity. We have to embrace that complexity by really examining possibilities. And I think that's one of the things I would do. The other regret that I frankly have in my life is that I did not have a mentor that helped me recognize who I should have been meeting and interacting with when I was younger. And I say that because I actually started to recognize that mid-career. And so I had actually made an appointment to go meet with Richard Feynman. And he died on me before the appointment could take fruition. And I recognized that there were so many people that came before me that that I should have tried to meet and, and, and been a part of and go places. Now, I've done more of that than a lot of people. I mean, how, how many people as a assistant professor are on stage with, with uh, Jacques Cousteau? Really? So I did I got an award from Carl Sagan. <laughs> yeah, but... I, I, I have had opportunities, but think of all the people we've missed that we could have learned from yeah. and we could have engaged with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the key I term think... there, too, is a mentor, you know, oh. so helpful. For us to mentor well, as it we is. grow and then for younger folks to be looking for the right mentor or mentors, yeah. Oh, I think that's absolutely crucial. And by the way, a mentor is not somebody you just need at the beginning. I think it's a lifelong process. Uh, This may sound strange, but I did my PhD in my uh, early 30s, late 20s. And um, I had an advisor that when I decided to do a PhD, I had to have an advisor. And I asked a number of people, and I finally had this meeting with this gentleman. And he says, I am considering you for a PhD student. And he said, I, uh, I only take three Ph.D. students at a time, and uh, I will spend a full year with you before the other two engage. So he said, here's the expectation, and you can take it or leave it. If you decide to work with me and I decide to work with you, 5.30 every morning we lift weights. 10 o'clock we teach methods class. 12 o'clock we debrief and have lunch over what we did right and what we did wrong. 3.30 we play racquetball. And if you're not willing to do those things and work with me in that manner, I will not be your advisor. Interesting. My advisor was Dr. John Penick. Oh. And he expected me and he that we would share mind and body. We would yeah. be one, that he was going to spend quality time on me to form the rest of my career. And if I wow. wasn't willing to put that energy into it, he wasn't going to waste his time on me. Wow. I'll tell you the things. I lost at racquetball badly one day and played terrible. And the next day we were going to lunch, and he said, I want you to walk into that building and ask where McDonald's is. And I said, why would I do that? He said, just do it. So I walked in McDonald's and asked where McDonald's was. (laughs) (laughs) And And he came out and he said, are you a complete loser? Are you a failure? Did that hurt? Are mistakes irreparable? Are they destroying you? No. We all make mistakes. Live with it. Get over it. Oh, boy. That was, he was interesting to be around and really set the, set the course. 
Yeah, you know, and for years I would do talks and he would show up at, at national or international conferences and once in a while I would walk in on my talks and I knew at the end of the talk I would always get one to two pages on his yellow pad of things that I needed to improve on. Oh, wow. <laughs> Goodness. You don't get that, that much anymore today. People, Young people aren't getting much of that and... They don't embrace, they don't think some of us that are old have anything to offer because we don't know how to pinch a computer screen and make the picture bigger. (laughs) They just dismiss us. They dismiss us because of some things that technologically, but we need to realize that every human being offers uh, insights that we need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Let's talk about, I'm interested in hearing your answer to this question. Uh, what If you could put one billboard anywhere, where would it be and what would it say? No, oh, one billboard. Uh, probably, uh, I don't know where I would put it, but I know what it would say. What? Uh, listen for those things you have never heard. I am shocked by how many times, and I used to do this with students, I would take take them out into uh, nature and I'd say, identify a one square meter area. Now get down and identify every different species and every different organism and every different thing you can find in that one square meter. We ignore detail. We ignore complexity. It frightens us. And as a result, we miss out so many times. We, We don't see the trees for the forest. Listen for those things you have never heard. Subnote, embrace complexity and detail, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I've learned that actually with the people I work with with Asperger's. Uh, They have such a unique view of the world. Um, I just can't fathom the complexity that they many times see that we have no clue exists. Learn from everybody. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, now they could learn too because they also have difficulty reading emotions and and understanding interactions. So it's it's not a, you know, it's not a perfect world for them either. But but they also see some things that I can't see. Right. They understand things that I can't fathom. Right. So I learn from them. I learn a great yeah. deal from them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So we're going to close out. Um, I'm also going to reference uh, some ways to reach you. But if you could think of, um, out of all that we've talked about today, and you think about who's listening, which is probably people who uh, who are running companies and leaders who are on teams, uh, consultants, People are in training and development. There's a whole wide mix of listeners for the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast. Uh, if you could think of uh, what you would share as a, one piece of wisdom or advice that you'd like everybody to take away, uh, maybe it's about um, acceptance and avoidance and diversity, uh, whatever, wherever you want to take it, what would be that piece of advice? Yeah, probably uh, embrace uniqueness. Uh, Our uniqueness scares us. If people don't look like us and talk like us and act like us, they scare us. Yeah, yeah. And yet that uniqueness is is something I think that actually adds richness. Yeah. 
when it's embraced, when it's when it's given credit. And, you know, and there's one topic we have not talked about, but I haven't figured exactly out how to do this. There's a new concept out that is being embraced by a very small group of people in business, and it's called neurodiversity. See, we actually, we embrace the concept of having age diversity, of having gender diversity. Uh, in fact, in some cases, it's mandated by by law. Yeah. And yet... I think there's a place for neurodiversity. There's a place for these people I work with, with Asperger's in our businesses. We have to figure out, and we're having a growing number of people that are on an autistic spectrum. We cannot house them the rest of their lives. We need to help them be productive citizens. And so this concept of embracing uniqueness in its whole fashion, I mean uniqueness on a whole spectrum, including neurodiversity, there are places for every human being, no matter their intellect or no matter their social graces. There are places that we can help people uh, enter and grow. I can see that so much, what you said about autism and Asperger's. And then if you pull out from that, you just think about on a team, how complex it is and, and the, how unique each person is. And if you can learn to not label it as negative or create resistance within it and embrace it. Wow, what a difference from all all avenues. Absolutely. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well, well this has been a privilege uh, and an honor to, to interact with you. I, I truly hope that there are some insights that we've been able to uh, discuss that will trigger ideas in your listeners and uh, um, and I, I, I think this is a wonderful service you're providing. You know, there are a number of us that have time in our commutes and, and times in our lives where we have an opportunity to listen to a podcast and, and to give true thought to some of these concepts where uh, reading a book or actually taking the time to do it in another media is difficult. So thank you for embracing a, a media that I think is filling a major need and gap. It is my pleasure. I love I love doing it, and I love interacting with interesting people like yourself who are willing to take time out of their schedule to, to share, and just appreciate you spending your time here today with us. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Bonstetter. I'll put a link to all of his contact information in the show notes for this episode. It's uh, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash brain two. And I'll give you a link to, he has a neat YouTube channel that has Science of Self in 60 Seconds. And I've enjoyed those. I think he has uh, maybe 10 now of different episodes and they're coming out periodically. So those are good. I share those on my Wake Up Eager Facebook page and just insights and tips about the brain and how the brain works. And I do believe, and I think maybe after you've listened to this interview, you'll feel the same way that the brain and brain research is everywhere now. Maybe it's not everywhere, but it's it's the future of what we're talking about, how we think, how we make decisions. And that's why we use the assessments that we use with the trimetrics is, you know, how do we interact? How do we, how to become a stronger, better version of ourselves? How do we understand others? And it truly is the science of 
self. And I love that the company that I'm associated with has people like Dr. Bonstetter and his team thinking about and working on continually refining what we do and uh, making it relevant and making it um, more powerful, more powerful so that we understand how we really do make decisions and how we do work. So I look forward to future podcasts. I think the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a podcast about the driving forces assessment. So we talked about it. It's the next version of motivators, which is what puts gas in your tank. And um, I just kind of want to explain what the driving forces is, how it's the next version of motivators. And for those who are interested, give you some more insights on, you know, those avoid areas that we talked about, you know, that if our brain is saying that's the one I want to do the least and how that becomes a motivator. And um, I'll probably in that episode, give you some opportunities to take or get a complimentary copy of your driving forces if you're curious about that. So tune into that. That'll probably be episode 31. For now, I'm signing off. If you want to reach out to me, Susie at pricelessprofessional.com or any of my social media channels. Uh, If you have ideas for a podcast or insights or information or want to share a review on iTunes, gosh, I'd love it. Um, Until we meet again, we'll see you on the next podcast or if we connect uh, via email or social media. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 